0: Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So, hey, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, Greg will make sure you get one if you need a Bible. And if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. We're literally following Jesus chronologically through the Gospels. And today we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 19. Nineteen. This is one of those sections of scripture, man. That is, it's really relevant to our culture, you know. But it's one of those things that most people don't want, don't like to talk about. It's one of those uh, places in scripture that can be somewhat uncomfortable because it can bring up personal emotions and pain and all of that kind of stuff. But let me tell you something. God wants to work through all of that. He wants to bring healing to, into our lives, and there are things that we have gone through as adults and whatnot that. That God wants to, to restore. He wants to bring healing. He wants us to have a proper understanding as it relates to the topic of divorce. He wants to talk to us about that. Now, uh, you all know the statistics about divorce. 50% of people in this room right now, statistically speaking, ha- have been affected by a divorce, a divorce in one way, shape, or form. Either you've been through one or you're a child of divorce. Those are the statistics. 50% of people, even in the church, have been affected by this. So this is a very relevant topic. Now in Jesus's day, it was also a very relevant topic. It was a very controversial topic. You know, what constitutes uh, lawful divorce? When when can I get divorced and when can I not get divorced? And there were cool, a couple schools of thought on that, but uh, you know, we'll get to that in a minute. But it was something that uh, was relevant uh, when Jesus was teaching it, and it's still relevant today. Those who say, oh, the Bible's not relevant, I mean, it, does it get any more relevant than that? When Jesus starts to talk about these subjects that are, are just plaguing our culture, um, one out of every two marriages in the church will end in divorce. So there's something wrong with our understanding of marriage, if that's the case. If 50% of marriages in the church end up in divorce, there's something wrong with our understanding of marriage. There's something wrong with our, our willingness, our heart, as it relates to God's Word. And so Jesus wants to tell us a few things about that. Now, it's not so much that, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're redefining uh, marriage in, in one sense, you know, in terms of who can participate in our culture, but also redefining it as it relates to the terms of marriage, like how long it will last, what was God's intention, and how do we view it? You know, in our culture, in America, the average marriage will last just eight years. Eight years. You know what the number one reason for divorce in our, in our country is today? What's that? Finances. No, it's not. Believably not. Unbelievably not. Actually, it is lack of commitment. Lack of commitment. Wait a second. The essence of marriage is what? Commitment. Why are people getting married if they're not willing to commit? Because it's just something that we do. When you grow up as a little kid, you have this thing in your mind for most of us we have this idea that we will be married one day with kids in the in the house with the white picket fence and we will do all of that because that's what we do. That's just bred in our culture and that's what we say. Now the word of God says, for the most of us, that is the case that we will end up getting married one day. But God has created some to not be married. He's created some to, you know, and the whole purpose of all of this, everything, however He designed you, is ultimately for His glory, and so it's about Him. But but we have to be honest with ourselves and with the Scripture when we when we ask ourselves, Lord, what is Your will for my life? Not because culture is going that way that that's the way that we go. God, what do you specifically have for me? You designed me. You created me. What is it that you want to do with me? That should be how we approach this thing of marriage. Now, the number one reason people get uh, divorced is because they are uh, not committing to one another. Uh, You know what the number two reason is? It's not finances. You know what the number two reason is? Surprisingly, it's not lack of communication, but it is the wrong kind of communication. People say, according to a recent survey, that they're getting a divorce because they argue too much. I have an idea. Stop arguing. How about that? If we stop arguing, then if that's the... the I, I'm not, I do not have a PhD in marriage counseling. I'm sorry. But it seems that simple that if it is an issue of arguing, should we just not argue? I mean, maybe that would save a, a lot of marriages. Seems like it would. The third most common reason people get divorced in infidelity is infidelity where when one spouse decides that the, the other spouse isn't enough for them anymore and they go out and seek emotional and physical you know fulfillment from someone else every 13 seconds somebody gets divorced in the United States every 13 seconds a marriage is being split every 13 seconds a child's life is being affected by decisions their parents are making every 13 seconds this is happening we have a, a great misunderstanding of marriage. We don't understand biblically what it means, or we're not willing to f- submit to the definition and be willing to do what the Word of God says to preserve the very thing that He instituted—this covenant that we enter into before Him, where we make a vow before the God of Heaven and, and to one another that we will, for death, till death do us part, commit to one another. It's a very wrong, skewed view. It's, there's a very selfish thing that's going on in our culture and god wants to address it jesus addressed it in this culture and he will continue to address it in our culture because it is you'll see here in a moment it's not just a spiritual relation it's not just a relational issue this is a spiritual issue a spiritual nature it's a spiritual issue it is something that the enemy is using to 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 bring down the view of who god is and we'll see that in a minute Stand with me, if you would, please, and we're going to read just a few verses in Matthew chapter 19 before we get into the rest of the text here. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, it says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and Lord, we ask that you would just help our hearts to be completely and totally sensitive to you today, to your spirit, to your word, Lord. We pray, God, for for many of us in this room that have, have in some way, shape, or form been touched by the subject of divorce, by this thing that is the splitting up of family. Lord, that you would bring healing into our lives today. Lord, we understand you tell us in your word that you hate divorce, but the thing is, you don't hate divorcees. You love us. You love every single person in this room, and you want to help us through our issues. You want to speak very specifically to every one of us today. Lord, we're asking you, we're just opening ourselves up even right now, we're asking you to speak intimately into our hearts. Lord, soften us that we might not only hear, but we would apply what it is that you would say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, The title of my message, if you're taking notes, is Lawfully Divorced. Uh, You see the question that Jesus is asked by the Pharisees. But before we even get into that, Matthew wants to bring us up to speed. He wants to give us a little background on what's going on prior to this question being asked. And so he tells us that Jesus is making his way from, uh, down to Jerusalem from the Galilee. He's entered the re- region of Judah, uh, beyond the Jordan, and here it says that he began to heal the various people that had been following Now, I, I find this interesting, that the Holy Spirit would insert this particular A detail right here, right before Jesus begins to talk about divorce. It's just really interesting to me because we know that God is a healing God. We know that when crowds form and people are sick and they they cry out to Jesus, he heals. That's what he does. He's in the healing business. He will heal us. But I find it interesting that the Holy Spirit would insert this detail right here, right before. Because again, it's not like he just healed people and then he began to talk. I mean, we don't know the, exactly how, what the time frame was in between what, when he went to the Judea beyond the Jordan and then he healed these people and then he began to talk. We don't know if there's a pause there, if it happened right away or whatever. I just find it interesting that the Holy Spirit would now bring this up right here, right now. Because relationships... Are very much like our human bodies follow me with this when a relationship is functioning correctly the relationship is healthy each person's doing their part they're loving and serving each other they're building each other up and encouraging each other but when one of the partners in the relationship or, ha- or perhaps both of them stop doing what they're supposed to do that's when disease happens just like in our bodies when one of your body parts stop doing what it's supposed to do, the whole rest of your body's depending on that body part, it affects the whole thing. And that's how we get disease. If your pancreas decides that it's not going to pump insulin anymore, you're going to get a disease called diabetes. Okay, that's what happens. Jesus, it's just interesting that the Holy Spirit would bring this to light right here. Because perhaps the question that, that the Holy Spirit is saying should be asked is not how can I lawfully get divorced, but how can Jesus heal my marriage? How can I find healing in my marriage? He's a healing God, we believe that. But that's not just with sickness, that's also with relationship. When we come to Him by faith, and we ask Him, Lord, we, we have trouble. One of us has stepped out of our role. Both of us are operating out of our role we're not respecting and loving each other we're not doing the things that you're called to, that we're called to do in this thing called marriage, and now it's plagued with disease. Lord, would you heal? Not is it lawful for me to get divorced that's what Jesus wants to share with us this morning. He wants us to understand the the, the whole point of relationship and what God wants to do with it he is in the healing business and i if you don't hear anything else today please hear this god can heal your marriage he can and he will i've seen it happen over and over again but it takes your participation it will take your participation it takes two people in a relationship and if both people are believers and are submitting themselves to god and they're saying god i want your will in my life. How can you get a divorce? How can you? How does it happen? Because we're not really following him, right? mean, Because ultimately, his, his heart for our relationship is healing. And if you will submit to him, if you will humble yourself, if you will come to him and say, God, I want this healing in my life, he will do it. Because his will is for your relationship to be forever on this side of heaven he wants it to be until you die that's his heart for marriage listen he is the author and chief architect of relationship and marriage and the human heart and if we ask him to heal us in these areas where diseases have set in, in our relationships he will because he doesn't wanna just see your marriage survive this life he wants to see it thrive he wants to see it be a kingdom marriage he wants to see the principles. He wants to see kingdom character in your relationship right now, not when we get to heaven right now. And it's possible if we will humble ourselves and we will heed his voice and we will apply his word. It's just interesting how the Holy Spirit would bring that up right here. Now, Jesus finds himself in a culture that's unwilling to apply the word of God. It's not that they don't know what the Word of God says. It's that they, they're they not willing to apply it. Check out verse 3. As the, as the question comes up, these Pharisees came to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, notice the Pharisees came to him and tested him. This is the equivalent of someone walking up to you in this in our day and age and saying, hey, do you got a problem, bro? Now, If you are socially challenged, let me just give you a little clue that if somebody walks up to you and says, do you got a problem, bro? They're not asking for you to tell them your life's problems, right? They want to pick a fight with you. In fact, they're asking you, do you want to fight? Really? That's really their question. Do you want to fight me? The Pharisees step up to Jesus, probably in the crowd. They're always in the crowd. They're always in the crowd trying to test him and trap him in different ways and they step up to him in this situation and they say to him hey jesus why don't you tell us a little bit about how one can divorce his wife now they understand this is like a hot button in the culture they understand that that 50 percent minimum of that that there's two different views on this and so there is going to create division no matter how he answers and they love that See, they're trying to steer the people away from Jesus and they're fi- trying to find any, any way that they can to get the people to, um, to, to li- look less likely upon him. Like I don't, Like he doesn't agree with what I agree on this and so I'm not going to follow him anymore. That's their point. They're trying to trap him in some way, shape, or form. And so there's no better way to do that than to bring up something controversial. And so the controversy that they bring up is really ultimately... What is lawful in relation to divorce? Now, where does this all come from? It stems from uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. And the question of the day was, what did Moses mean by this one word? Now, I'm going to read these verses for you. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, it'll be on the screen. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and if then she finds no favor in, eye, in his eyes because he has found some indecency, circle that in your Bible, indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of a divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and the later man hates her and writes her a certificate of a divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife after she has uh, been defiled, For this, for that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin upon the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. See, the controversy that was going on in this day and age was the one word, indecency. If you have a King James or a New King James Version Bible, it says uncleanness. Uh, There were two schools of thought on what that meant. There was this Rabbi Hillel and there was Rabbi Shimei, these are the two um, rabbis during Jesus' day and everybody looked to them on what they thought about this, these, this particular word and the interpretation of it. Of course, they're both polar opposites, right? I mean, you have Rabbi Hillel, which was a very liberal rabbi. He said that, you know, you could uh, essentially, that word uncleanness or indecency could mean as little as she doesn't know how to cook your food right. So you could give her a certificate of divorce. If she spoke uh, badly about your uh, about the man's parents. You could give her a certificate of a divorce. You know, there, there were all kinds of reasons, really silly things that Hillel would say, well, yeah, that definitely, you know, means that you could divorce her. If you found a woman that was more attractive than your wife, you know, you could just say, oh, I'm not, that's indecency. You're, you're indecent before me. I, and give her a certificate of a divorce. It's ridiculous. But guess who had a lot of followers? Hillel. Just like many in the church today follow the liberal theology because it's easier. I like that. It fits my flesh more. There there was the Rabbi Shimei, on the other hand, and he was very conservative. There were virtually no grounds for divorce except for sexual immorality. That's what he said that word uncleanness meant. So the Pharisees know that this is going to be a dividing issue, and they cunningly uh, tossed Jesus into the mix on this, to create division. Look how he responds here. In verse 4, it says, He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Notice what Jesus didn't say here. Let me tell you what I think. Now, if there's anyone that could say that, it would be Jesus. Let me tell you what I think. But he didn't say that. He said, have you not read? You see what he's doing here is he's directing people not to his words, but to the word. He is the word, and and it's kind of awkward that he would do that, but it's for our sake that he would do this. Have you not read? If you're a counselor, if you've ever counseled someone in your life, The thing that you don't ever want to say is, I think this. Who cares what you think? Who cares what I think? What does the word of God say? That's what I care about. Tell me what scripture says. When people come to you for counsel, whether you, just simply as a Christian, your your approach to them ought to be, here's what the word says. Or have you not read? Jesus was scolding these religious leaders for, following man's opinion jesus what do you think about the issue maybe we'll follow you now understand we already know that their motive is not to follow jesus they don't care about what he thinks they're not looking to him for biblical guidance they don't really care what his interpretation is of that word unclean in deuteronomy chapter 2 24 verse 1 they don't care all they want to do is create division and Jesus wisely says have you not read what an indictment to people who are supposed to be schooled in the word people that have devoted their lives to reading the scriptures that are supposed to know the scriptures have you not read have you not read of course they've read Deuteronomy chapter 24 of course they've read it but Jesus was simply saying you have an incorrect understanding and I and I know where you're going with this line of questioning. He's telling us today that all we need is the Word of God. That's what he's telling us. Listen, you don't need a counselor. Do you know you have one? His name is the Holy Spirit. He is the wonderful counselor, right? He's inside of you, and you know what he does. He says, "Let me tell you what I." Th-. No, he doesn't. He says, "Let me tell you what the Word of God says." The Holy Spirit will never, ever lead you astray from the Scripture. He directs you right to the Scripture. He is our teacher, and he will bring us right into the place that we need to hear. Isn't that what is amazing about the Holy Spirit? You can't ask him an honest question without him leading you right to the Scripture. That will just nail you. So that's why we don't ask, right? Because we don't want to know. No, I don't, I don't want to know that. No, no, because he brings conviction. We don't need, uh, listen, if people would simply read the Word of God and do what it says, if we would just, it sounds simple, I know, it's it's hard because we have all these, you know, sinful desires and all this kind of stuff, but if we would simply do that, we would not need to talk to anybody about our problems. Do you know that? Because we have what we need. We have everything that we need for life and godliness. God has given it to you through the Holy, through His Son, through the Holy Spirit, and through His Word. Everything you need. He said, listen you do this. Now, he instituted this thing called the church because that's what he wanted to do and he 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 appointed people to bring the word and all that kind of stuff. That's his deal. Right? But never in scripture do I see, uh, you know, marriage ministry. I don't see that. I don't in fact, I don't see children's ministry. I don't see these ministries because you know, back in this culture they didn't do that. Essentially they said you have what you need. You have the word of God. God will appoint a certain pr- people to direct you, but ultimately, it lies in your court. You have the capacity to know. And he's telling you that today, that he's giving you all that you need. You don't need anything else. I, Pastor Chuck had a right hand, uh, his right hand man was a military man named Pastor Romaine. And if you know anything about Calvary Chapel, you've heard the guy's name. He was one of the most matter of fact no-nonsense guys that you'll ever meet in your life, so much so that many people would call him unloving. But if people would come in his office with problems, he, he would say this. He'd say, have you read the Word? What does the Word say? Well, well if they would say, H- have you read the Word? And, and they would say, well, no. Well, get out of here then. Go read the Word. That's what he would tell them. That's his counsel. If they said, well, yes, I have read the Word, he would say, well, get out of here and go apply it. Uh, You know, many people would be offended by the way that he counseled, but do you know that what he was saying was listen, you have everything. I have nothing more to offer you than what you already have God's Word. And if you aren't willing to do that, there's no helping you. You see, we're not cheerleaders for each other, we're not here to cheer each other on in the sinful ways. Oh, you know, he doesn't deserve you. You're such a great person and da-da-da-da-da. No. What does the Word of God say? Let's not pamper each other. Let's not kid-glove each other. Let's bring the Word and let the Word do what it's supposed to do. And I'm not telling you, we're not the Holy Spirit and we're not called to knock people's teeth out. We're called to bring the truth and love. But, you know, we have to be careful that we don't start to pamper sinfulness and pamper unrepentance and pamper these things that are totally contrary to the Word because we're afraid of hurting someone's feelings. I, you know, I'm not Pastor Romaine. I'm, I'm, I, I would err on the other side maybe. But here's what I would say is that my job is to simply tell you what the Word of God says, whether you like it or not. That's your job too. That's our job because that's what Christ left us with. He didn't leave us with, you know, go ahead and tell him what you think please don't do that. You know, the culture wants to tell, the culture, you know, many people are getting divorced today because they're looking for other counselors other than the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. They're looking for someone else to tell them, to, they're looking for teachers that will tell them what they want to hear. They're looking for counselors that will tell them what they want. Oh, oh man, he does not deserve you. You are so good. I mean, I can't believe he can't see the goodness in you. I mean, yeah, you know, we're, we're very deceitful people. And you know, we have this innate ability to paint ourselves perfect. It's amazing. I can talk to you about myself, and I can, I literally am almost floating by the time I'm done. But you know the truth. You know, when someone comes to you and starts to tell you about their problems, and the fingers always pointed to the other person, you know it's not true. You know it's not true because everybody's sinful. Listen. The, the the direct opposite would obviously be you know someone who constantly takes all of the blame for everything. No. Just own up to what is yours. If we own up to what, what is ours and we have repentance and we come and ask God to cleanse us and we we live in that realm, then how can our relationship not work? How can it not work? It's because two parties aren't willing to do what the Word says that's the bottom line and I know that's hard to hear but it's the truth Jesus goes on to say that marriage this relationship thing that he designed and created Jesus did because everything was created by him and for him and through him but what he designed it specifically for he designed man and woman number one that's pretty clear in the scripture there's no question about that man and woman right to be married And he created them, he created the man to leave his father and his mother and to go and leave and to hold fast to his wife, to cleave to her, to to grab onto her and to bring her into his into his arms and to hold her. And now there is no other relationship that is more important. It's that relationship. He designed all of that. There was no question of who was supposed to get married in this situation. In fact, this is New Testament, this is Jesus saying marriage is be- between a, a, a man and a woman. That, that's, that's what he's saying. Um, you know, so, so that's the reality. Now, you have to understand that, that homosexuality was an issue in his day. I mean, homosexuality was rampant in the Roman culture. Actually, there were uh, gay marriage go- going on during this time, during biblical times. That was happening. You know, people want to see that, you know, the, the liberal side of our world wants to say that we're evolving from this because this is old ancient, you know, stuff. Well, how is it that it's old and ancient but it was happening when Jesus talked about it in Matthew chapter 19? And how is how are we evolving exactly? Because it seems like to me we're the same place they were. Why are we evolving? We're not evolving. We're the same sinful people stuck in the same sinful tendencies doing the same sinful things. And so that's the reality. And so Jesus just just makes it plain. He's not going to skirt the issue. He just says, "Look, marriage is between a man and a woman." And and he, and he goes on here and, and he and he tells us he tells us what the the uh, what the it, the whole point of marriage was. Uh, you know, he, he tells us that marriage was created not for us, but for God. It was God who joined man together, not man. You and I are, are not the ones that join each other together. God joins together. And he says, if God joins together, let no man separate, right? Listen, this whole thing is wrapped up in what's called covenant. Covenant is simply agreement between God and man, okay? That covenant is not complete. It's not, it's not um, you know, circling around your happiness. That's not why the covenant exists, you know, marriage doesn't exist to make you happy because we all know marriage doesn't make us happy sometimes. Sometimes marriage makes us unhappy. And so if my perception is of marriage is that, you know, the idea is that I will be happy when I'm unhappy, then I just say oh, I'm going to bail because I'm unhappy. And the world would say, well, yeah, you should because you only live once and all this kind of stuff because they don't get covenant. But covenant is, is, is something that God designed for us to enter into that he joins together. Not every marriage is covenant marriage, you realize? Because God joins man together. There are marriages that God doesn't recognize, because He didn't join them together. You see this? He's telling us. Jesus is telling us clearly, it's God who joins man together, not the state. Therefore, the state cannot separate covenant, can they? There is no piece of paper that you're going to take to heaven that says, we'll see. See, I'm legally and lawfully divorced. God says, no, you're not. You're married, in my eyes, because it's a covenant thing. The only person that can separate you from covenant is the one that created it. We, don't, we can't go to the state and say, give me, you know, give me a divorce, and, and God, God say, oh, well, they went to the state. What do I do? I guess they're divorced in my eyes. No. The reality is, they're married, and that's why Jesus will go on to say, if you get divorced unlawfully and you go and marry someone else, that is adultery. You're you're an adulterous relationship because you're still in covenant with God. Now, covenant is, is kind of like an umbrella, it's one of these things that you know it, it's meant to cover us and protect us. When it's raining outside, you pull out an umbrella, you pull it up, you put it over your head, and you, you know, your wife hopefully first, who cares if you get wet but you want to make sure that her hair doesn't get messed up because if it does, the whole night's ruined, right? <laughs> so we want to make sure we preserve that part of it. So, you know, but, but, but it's like the covenant is like an umbrella. It's meant to protect you. God designed it to protect you. And he said, here's what covenant looks like. It lo- it's, it's between man and woman and, and, and where man acts like man and woman acts like woman. Like that's the covenant, pretty simple, when man stops acting like man and woman stops acting like woman, we step out on s- outside of the umbrella and now we're getting all wet. Now we're exposed to all these things that we were not exposed to under the cover. You see, where marriage goes wrong is when people step out from under the cover and they're no longer covenant marriage anymore. They're trying to operate outside of the way that God designed it as if we know better. And God would say, Hold on a second, you're outside of the covenant, and so you're exposed. Now you're going to get drenched. You're going to get, it's going to pour down on you. Get back under the covering. Get back in the covenant. How do we step back into that? It's simple, it's repentance. It's being willing to recognize, like, Lord, I am out of bounds here. I've stepped out of my role and I want to step back under the covering. So, Lord, re- remove my pride and help me to bow my knee to my husband, help me hu- as a husband to lead my wife the way that I'm supposed to, to love her like Christ loved the church, to do these things, and then we're back under the covering and he's protecting us and he's watching over us. He will allow you to step outside the covering if you want to. But now you're uncovered. God bless my marriage. Just bless it. And the further we ask him, you know, we just take, keep taking... He said, I'm not going to do that because it's covenant. It's It's, it's agreement. And you've, you've defaulted on the agreement. And so you're outside of the covenant. Jesus is trying to make it clear to us that God's intentions for marriage were to be lifelong. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall, he shall take, hold fast to his wife. He's supposed to go and grab her and that's it. It's over for the rest of his life. That's what marriage was supposed to look like. Jesus defines it as again leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife they are to become one flesh jesus said this because the focus is to be the two shall become one not the one shall become two he's not going to teach on how the one shall become two you get it like his whole point is let's focus on the two that's supposed to be coming one not how the one can become two because that's not how god designed it let's just get back to the beginning jesus didn't go to, you know they want to take him to the law, but Jesus says, "Hold on a second. Let's go back way before the law. Let's go back to the beginning and let's talk about what covenant marriage looks like before we can ever even begin to talk about lawful divorce. Let's talk about what it looks like to be in covenant relationship. Listen, the two becoming one thing. This is an extraordinary thing where God takes two human specimens, a male and a female. Both having different strengths and abilities that are different from each other, right? And then he brings them into this covenant and the two people will continue to remain unique and yet they will be one in purpose. I just want to make sure everybody understands what the two shall be one means. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to be the same people. Like, you you know, unity is not... It is not uniformity it doesn't mean that you become him and he be, him becomes you and there you are that's a mess that's why we that's why we're having questions about what who can get married and all that kind of stuff because people are, don't understand that listen you as a husband you as a wife you are individuals god created you he designed you he made you to be the way that you are to complement your spouse your spouse to lead you in a certain way though he he needs certain things from you you need certain things from him you don't change, like, all of that. The, the whole process of the two becoming one, you know, where you have the unity candle. And it's kind of a, uh, Tony Evans, I like the way that he says it. He said, it, you know, the unity candle is kind of messed up in the, in the marriage because what we do is we take these two candles and we light the one candle, then we blow the other two candles out. The other two candles aren't meant to be blown out. We are two unique people uh, united in one purpose, right as a marriage. That's what it means. You're, you're not giving up something in it. God is making you better in it as you, you unify yourself uh, with your spouse. And here's the thing. God created and designed marriage to reflect his character and nature and for his kingdom purpose, okay? So he created it to reflect his character and nature. That's why when the two become one, Two separate people operating with one complete purpose. It's a picture of who God is. He is three separate entities functioning as one. It's the same idea. It's a, it's a great illustration, although it's not three, it's two, but it's a great illustration of who God is. He is three separate entities, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all operating under the headship of God. Same thing, same idea. The two shall become one is also speaking of the union that happens in marriage where procreation happens. You know what I'm talking about. We won't go there, but you know, you follow me on that. You're tracking. But the reality is that's the purpose of marriage. It's not your happiness. Happiness is the side effect of marriage. It's not the goal, but it happens to be the fruit of it. When we do it right and we live in the confines of the the, the covenant that God has created for us, ultimately we end up happy and that's how god designed it jesus goes on to say what god has joined together let no man separate i find it interesting that never thought of this before and my wife and i were doing a class kingdom marriage class with a um a couple in the church uh not too long ago and by tony evans and he he said something that was interesting to me and in fact dan just said it this morning He said, you know, did you ever notice that in the Bible that the Satan didn't show up until marriage began? Isn't that interesting? Satan wasn't messing with Adam when he was by himself, but when the marriage relationship happened, that's when he showed up. And that's when he's going to show up the strongest in your life. It's in the marriage covenant when he's going to try and divide you because you're going to be trying to come together and he's going to try and bring you apart. That's his goal. He wants to devour the marriage picture because it is a picture of who God is and it does play a kingdom purpose. Uh, you and I, as we, we have children, we raise them up and we nurture them in the Word of God and we help them become, you know, Christians to come to know Jesus Christ, you know, as we teach them that. So we're faithful with the Word in their life. And then they go out into the world and they tell people about Jesus because that's what they know. That's kingdom purpose. That's the kingdom purpose of marriage, you know. Is, as you train up your kids in the way that they should go, as they get older, they won't depart from it. And then they go into the world and they do the same thing. Do you understand that's how the Muslims are, you know, populating the earth? That that's exactly what they're doing? Is the same design that God designed? Don't you see the picture of what the enemy is doing here? The Muslims are spreading their propaganda, or whatever you call it, through procreation. Just by having a lot of kids. Eventually, they'll have a generation that's just totally them if they keep doing it. I mean, these guys have eight, nine, ten kids. That is their plan. That's what they're doing. I don't care about proselytizing you. I'm just going to convert. I'm just going to keep having kids, you know, six to eight to ten kids compared to your one to two. And guess what? A whole culture can be wiped out pretty quick if we just keep doing that. God says, listen, you can, it can work the opposite way too. You know, it can work the way that it was designed to work when, when two people are, are, are operating under you know, the covenant of marriage and they're doing what God's designed them to do and they're, they're, they're raising their children up. doesn't mean every, every Christian home's going to raise up you know, every Christian child. That does not mean that. And sometimes it has nothing to do with what you did. Parents beat themselves up sometimes and they've done the right things, but the, the child has an opportunity to go their own way and you have to let them. You know, God allows us to. And that's a difficult thing to do. I mean, I have four kids and I, and I pray every night, Lord, you know, if there's things that we're not doing, help me. You know, but ultimately, it's their decision to make, right? But we've got to give them the tools. You know, we want to give them the tools. So Satan's ploy is to get us out of the covenant for the woman to act like the man and the man to stop acting like the man. When that happens, we step out of the covering of God and the enemy can devour us. That's where we got to understand that the root of this attack is not a relational attack. It's a spiritual attack. That's what the enemy is trying to do. And if it's a spiritual attack, then the only remedy is a spiritual remedy, right? When we have a broken relationship, the only remedy for that uh, broken relationship is a spiritual remedy. It's Christ. It's the Word of God. It's repentance. It's when we, we, we recognize like, man, my, my marriage is busted up. It's broken. I need help, God. I'm just coming to you because I'm asking for the blood of Christ to come and cleanse me. I'm turning away from my sin in this situation. I'm turning back to you. I want to step back under that covering. And when you do that, the blood of Christ covers you, forgives you, and He can bring healing in that relationship. It's not simply, well, He's just not doing what I want him to do? well, if he simply changes outward behavior but not uh, you know inward heart, then nothing changed, did it? We need a spiritual remedy for our relational problems, and that's what that's ultimately what the enemy is trying to do is keep us from that. You know the way that we do that again is we turn to covenant to find forgiveness, right? We turn to the new covenant, we turn to Jesus christ he bore our sin he was pinned to the tree for you he bled and died for you he rose again from the dead for your victory he did it for you here pretty soon we're going to celebrate communion in just a few minutes we're going to take the blood the body and the the blood of christ you know the representation the symbols of those things and we're going to remember what he did for us and as we remember that as we you know bring ourselves to that place where we recognize we are in absolute need of the body and the blood of Christ because we are sinful people, maybe God will begin to stir our hearts to say, hey, Lord, there's some things in my relationship that I need to confess to you. There's some ways that I'm treating my spouse that I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm, I've stepped out of covenant, Lord, would you bring me back in? What God is looking for is repentance. He's looking for you to step back because he's right there waiting. He's desiring to bring healing in your relationship. Jesus isn't pulling any punches here, man. He, he goes on to say, you know, he, he goes on to say that, um, well, the Pharisees go on to ask him, you know, if that's really what you're, if that's marriage, if that's what it looks like, Jesus, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Verse 7. Their response to Jesus saying that God never intended for the one to become two in the first place, was, well, why did, why did Moses say that we were, why did he command us? That's pretty strong language. Why did he command us then to go ahead and give our, 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 our wife a certificate of divorce? And the reality is, is that it wasn't a command, was it? It's a gross misinterpretation of what the Word of God, and that happens all the time. Peace, people grossly misinterpret the Word of God and they come up with some weird doctrine That would say God commands you to get a divorce in certain situations. God's desire for you is to stay together and to bring reconciliation. Could you imagine the God who heals, the God who forgives, the God who reconciles man to himself, the God who justifies to say, well, I command you to get a divorce now because she's done that. There is no forgiveness for that. That makes absolutely no sense. That's contrary to the God that we serve. He's a forgiving God. He wants to bring reconciliation. Jesus goes on, look at verse 8, how he answers them. He said to them, Because of the hardness of your heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Understand divorce was permitted, not commanded. This is God's, if you've ever heard this, this is God's permissive will. His permissive will is that in certain situations you are permitted to divorce. You're permitted to sever the covenant relationship or the marriage that God has joined you in. There, there comes a place where God permits that. But the perfect will of God is that every marriage would work out its problems and that the two would continue to become one and there would be reconciliation. But God knew the heart of man. And He knew how, how, how difficult some things would be for us. Say, man, the hardness of their heart. It had nothing to do with anything else except for the hardness of our hearts. And listen, I've met people in their relationships that their heart is so hard, they don't care about anything. They don't care about what the Word says. They don't care about how this will affect anybody else. They are so hardened and so selfish that they want what they want and they don't care. And I just see a glimpse of that. God is saying divorce is permitted because of the hardness of heart. God protect us from allowing our hearts to become that hardened in our relationship that we couldn't forgive. When we sit in reflection of who we are before God, and when someone sins against us, how we view that, Lord, please help us to be softened because you forgive me for everything. But how unwilling I am to forgive. And yes, there, you know, the whole idea of adultery or infidelity, or you know that, that is something that's very difficult to get over, I'm sure. I've, I've not gone through it, but I can only imagine. It's the betrayal of the relationship. To betray the trust of your spouse, right? But it's not, it's not unworkable on God's end. It's not that he can't work through that and bring healing in your relationship. It's oftentimes that we won't let him. And that's why he said, I will permit you in this particular instance when when the relationship has just been severed in this way, when there's been a union that's been made outside of that. Now there's baggage with all of that because we, you know, when we when we have intercourse outside of marriage. There's a union that happens, and you bring all of that union into your relationship. And so God would say, man, you know, I will permit that. And I can't tell you why, other than what he says here, the hardness of the heart. That's why. That's what he said. Jesus totally defines that word uncleanness right there for him. He said, look, it's sexual immorality. It's pornea. Is the Greek word. It means all kinds of different sexual immorality. All kinds of different things. And so if you really want to get technical about it, you know, you can you can slice it up and you can come. Can I get lawfully divorced for this kind of sexual immorality, or can I do it this way or that way? You know, because what you want is a divorce. You're just wanting to make sure it's lawful. And that's the issue. That's the heart of Jesus is dealing with here. What's lawful divorce look like? Because that's what I want to talk about. Not healing. This is what Jesus says. Well, lawful divorce looks like sexual immorality. Paul adds in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 16, he says, he also adds to the idea um, that, that abandonment of an unbelieving spouse could be added to that short list of sexual immorality and abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. Those are the two reasons that, where a person could get lawfully divorced, if you really want to know. Well, well, what does abandonment look like? How is... You know, let's talk about the technicalities of abandonment. Again, you can't cover every situation. I can't, I can't tell you every situation. What I can tell you is the word says this, go pray about it and ask the Lord. I'm never going to guide somebody to get a divorce, ever, ever. Because that, I don't believe that's God's heart. You're free to make those decisions on your own. I'll tell you what the word says, but I'm never going to tell you, yeah, I think it's time that you go get a divorce. Well, You know, and again, I'm not gonna. I'm not even gonna cover every situation because that can just open up cans. If you want to talk to me about something specifically, please come. Don't leave offended by what I said. Come talk to me if you've been in a situation and you're like, well, you know, well, what about this? If you're ticked off about what I said, well, let's go. Let's sit down and talk about it because I can't cover everything right now. Okay, but the reality is, is Jesus said sexual immorality and abandonment. Paul adds uh, that that scripture is one Corinthians seven. 10 through 16, you can read it later. What Jesus is trying to help us understand it is that marriage is a serious thing. It is. It's not flippant. You know, it's not something that we should come at. In that, and, and I'm glad the younger people are in here because you need to hear that, listen, when you're considering marrying somebody, you have to understand that, that what God is saying, from God's perspective who designed marriage, who made it, is saying that that should be forever like on earth that should be you, you should be committing yourself to that person so you should really consider who you're marrying then right is that that's kinda of what he's saying he's saying be careful about the kinda of person. don't let your feelings stir you steer you uh, you know away uh, back to some situation that's not that's not gonna be helpful for you long term and, and then then join in holy matrimony with that person and now you, you know you're just gonna keep digging a hole don't do that you know, make, when, when, you know, can you make sure? You can pray. You can pray when you're seeking a spouse and you can ask God, Lord, is this the one? And he will tell you because he cares about you and he cares about that other person. And he's trying to help us avoid pain in this world, believe it or not. Now, he puts us in pain sometimes because that's what we need. But the point of it is that he wants us to, to help us. And we pray for our, our kids' as spouses all the time. Lord, we're praying for him even right now. Lord, we're praying for Zoe's husband. We're praying for Cruz's wife. We're praying for Silas's wife. We're praying for if that would be your will for them to be married, Lord, for Jude or whatever, we're praying, God, that, that you're even stirring the heart of that child now and that you're preparing them for this thing and that they would believe in you and that they would know you. We're praying for that now. How can we be assured? Pray. Pray and ask. Ask the Lord. Verse 10, the disciples are just like, dude, this is so serious that I don't think we should ever get married. I think that's probably the good idea. Verse 10, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have, been, who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. The disciples are just basically, you know, they must have had that liberal theology during that. They must have been like, wow, well, if that's the depth of, of early marriage and stuff like that, maybe it's just better not to get married at all. But Jesus then says to him, hold on a second. Not everybody's been given that gift not being married what he's talking about is being sexually pure That's what he's saying that that gift you know if you can call it that it that God says it's a gift so I believe it but whatever you know the reality is is that 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 God has designed certain people to do that and and if you can have a certain level of self-control or whatever then 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 you know what don't get married but Paul said it's better to be married than to burn with lust And so marriage isn't something we do because we can't have self-control with our sexuality, but the reality is God designed us in certain ways. And he's saying there are some people who just innately don't have any issue. And so those people are set aside to do God's work and whatever he has for them specifically in that way. You know, if you do get married, it does bring on a whole different level of ministry that has to happen within your own home before you can really do anything outside your own home. And that's why Paul said, you know, if you can, if you have that gift you don't know, exercise it because you can use you can be used greatly by the Lord. But if you don't, then it's better to be married than to burn with lust, right? So Jesus said, let the one who is able to receive this receive it. So here's the thing: God designed marriage. Uh, God designed marriage. It's it's for him, it's designed, created by him and for him. He created us to for the two to become one. And in his permissive will, there is lawful divorce. But that's not his perfect will for us. His perfect will is that we would remain together, that we would seek reconciliation. And lawful divorce is the only kind of divorce that God recognizes. Because what God joins together, let not any man separate. Amen? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We praise you, Lord. For who you are, we thank you so much for this thing called marriage. It is an incredible blessing, Lord. And uh, it reveals who you are and your character and nature. And, Lord, we're so thankful for that. We thank you that you designed it from the beginning to have a purpose in your kingdom. And, Lord, that, that we would yield to that purpose, Lord, in our own lives, Father, that we would just be people that are kingdom-minded, Father, help us to recognize that th- this thing of marriage, how it reflects the nature and the character of who you are. And the world sees that, Lord. May they see you in our marriages. Father, we know that there are many people here today that have been affected by divorce. And Lord, we know that your heart is that, that we would all find healing and reconciliation to you this morning. And so I pray as we close in this uh, this time and we prepare for communion lord that you help our hearts lord even now to be drawn to you and lord to, to respond to this in the way that your spirit would lead us for some it's they've, they've done all that they are called to do already they've come in repentance of maybe a past divorce that they've been in and they are they're remarried now and, and you're calling them to just now live in that relationship and to make that marriage uh, a covenant marriage that that's under the the umbrella of your protection and yet for others Lord there are still a lot of feelings and a lot of pain and dealing with a lot of things right now God we're praying that you bring healing this morning as well Lord we pray that your spirit would just uh, bring the anointing upon the hearts that only you can Lord for many who are here this morning that are not married who are eventually going to get married would you help to to hide this truth in their heart this morning, that they would never even have to ever have this conversation, ever think the thought of what would be considered lawful divorce, Lord, but that you would help them to recognize, you know, to, to, to realize that when they choose a spouse, Lord, you've designed and created somebody for them and that they just submit to your will in that. We ask you to just guide and protect our kids, Lord, in that. We thank you for this morning, Lord. We ask you now to just draw us close. And as we prepare for communion, Lord, if there is anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, that you help them to come into that saving grace today by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, turning from their sin and turning to you this morning, God. It's a simple cry of faith that says, Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I'm turning to you today. I believe that you died and rose again from the dead for me, and I want to receive your forgiveness this morning, God. I want to be changed. I want to be transformed. I receive Christ as my Savior, my Lord. My life is yours now. Do with it what you will. Lord, prepare the rest of us for communion now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The elements will be passed out. Pastor Brian is going to come lead us through communion this morning.